we can do a Q&A, but basically, like I said, it's very, very informal. Lah. So yeah. you can just leave me a copy or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's more or less your own kind of personal recollections of that time. Sure, yeah. sure. I have to dig very hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if your memory is anything like mine, but it's like desperate, you know. How each other drop memory. It's like when Chris, when you wrote me, I was just like, huh? wow, how did the name come about? I have to dig, you know, I have to go and <laughs> dig back like all the news articles. And then I was like, oh, luckily I mentioned in one of the articles how the name came about. And I was like, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so by say, right? Like, <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition, edition, another episode of uh, Lion City Rock, the only podcast about Singapore's pop music scene, telling you stories that you, you never knew you needed to know them like now. Um, today, today we're going to be talking to uh, the lead singer of one band that came up in the 1990s. She was uh, I, I'm spoiling it, but never mind. She was one of the one of the the. I think I think that band was one of the few bands that was female fronted, and um, they did several different gigs all around town. They they actually recorded uh, music for this um, very very nice compilation called Flush of the Use. I think they were also featured in the other compilation called Left of the Dial, and um, you know. We're going to speak to the lead singer today and find out how all that happened and what has been going on ever since. So please welcome today, Pauline Chong from Sideshow Judy. Yay! Yay. Hey. Drum roll! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys for having me on the show. Very glad to be here. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, how are you? How are you? I'm good. This uh, this podcast uh, finds me as a COVID refugee in Thailand. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, Is that where you are now? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, actually, okay. in sunny Phuket. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> where oh, okay. we've been hiding for probably close to a year now. Wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. So bite the bullet, you know. When COVID struck, it was like being in Singapore, and then you know. It was very close, right? We had the phase one lockdown. It was very yep. difficult and yep. it was just getting like so claustrophobic. So I was thinking, okay, you know, why don't we just take the opportunity and go to somewhere where there's a bit more space. So uh, there's no tourists here. Everything is very dead. <laughs> But, um, so that's good or bad, depending on which side of the fence you're on. <laughs> I think it's been a win for Mother Nature. Yeah. Uh, the, be the beaches and the water have never I'm been sure, this yeah. beautiful. A uh, record number mm. of turtles, 
even saw oh. dolphins never before, you know. Really? Wow. Yeah, I was talking to the boatmen and they said in their 15 years of ferrying tourists around Phuket, they've never seen dolphins. And now there's scores of them just in the water, just wow. 10 minutes away. So, wow, okay. So, okay. yeah. COVID not good for economy and humans, but win for Mother Nature, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's yeah. time, time out for the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah. yeah. I think you deserve a break from us. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's That's true. At the way we're going, it's, it's pretty bad. So, Alliance City Rock. Very exciting. It's a... Uh, it's been, I guess, 20 years. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, long time. Yeah, so it's, it's nice to see you, you, you looking very nice and fresh all the way. A few thousand, not thousand, I, I have no idea how far away, how far away you are. <laughs> but I think about 900 kilometers. 900 kilometers away from the sunny <laughs> island <minus>. of <laughs> the Lion City. <laughs> yeah, um, I whisked my family away from sunny and humid Singapore to sunny uh, Thailand. <laughs> it seems like as good a time as any, right? Um, just to uh, sort of have a shift in lifestyle and also change in pacing and sort of reevaluate, you know, what's next, what to do. Um, and time really flies. It's been 10 months since we came here. Uh, yeah, and just got a puppy. So it's like, uh, acquiring new things along the way, um, so it's, it's it's great. Yeah, it's great. And um, my uh, my house here is just across a music store, so that's also very helpful. <laughs> just wandering to look at you know guitars and little drum kits and uh, stuff like that. So it's quite fun. Okay, okay. You know, um, as we were saying, you you were one of the few female fronted uh, sideshow Judy the band that you you were fronting. One of the few bands uh, back in the day that was female fronted. Uh, I have no idea. I, I'm just gonna. I'm just. I, I did, I'm still thinking of a, a synonym for that. If a better, has any. Try to use a better word. <laughs> female led. Uh, female led. Okay. Is that good. Go okay. on. Go on. Okay. Go I'll, on. I'll go with that. Female led. I'll edit all the rest. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So. So maybe you could. Uh, talk us through your, your musical journey. I mean, was was mm. being in a band one thing that you always wanted to do? Well, um, I think I was very fortunate. I grew up in a family that really loved music. My dad was like a huge Elvis Presley fan. You know, like we always had a record playing in the house. Um, my mom also loved music, uh, although her taste in country music was a bit more suspect. Like Tammy Lynette. <laughs> You know, D-I-V-O-R-C, stand by your man. I mean, that is just like, wow. Um, so we had a lot of Carpenters. We had a lot of Elvis. You know, we had a lot of Dan Fogelberg, Goldberg, uh, that sort of music. So grew up with a lot of music. My dad also plays the guitar. Um, and I think he also dabbled playing, you know, uh, in, with his friends, never formally in a band. Um, things kind of changed for me when I started working part-time at a record score, a store in Singapore called Gramophone. Um, and I think quite a few of the Singapore bands uh, back then worked there. Uh, that's where I also met Patrick Chung from the Art Fellows. Um, he was stacking shelves, you know, uh, very ignobly, the, despite, you know, having some rock star status on stage. Uh, we made him stack a lot of 
stuff like Britney Spears. So, oh my! God. Yeah, so poor guy. Um, and also, I think we had a couple of the guys from Pagans um, also did a stint at the store. So it was a little good group. And I was like, oh, what's this indie music stuff? You know. And then that was when I got quite interested. Um, I was only fifteen years old, legal age, right, for working. I'm not sure, but anyway, I was paid like three dollars fifty cents an hour. Then, due to good employee status, increased to four dollars and fifty cents. But every month have money. to yeah. But every month have to top back up few hundred dollars to just keep buying CDs. So <laughs> very loss making effort. But I think that was where the interest grew. Um, then mm. got invited to watch a few odd fellow gigs, and then you know um also saw the pagans play. And I thought, oh, you know, actually I should give a shot at this, you know, playing in a band. My dad thought it was a really cute idea, so I thought, okay, fine. <laughs> then I got introduced to Ari, who was our drummer, um, quite by accident. And it was Ari then Rokden Ramlan who played bass for us. Uh, so it was just two of them and me, and we sort of set off. You know, we thought, okay, there's a three-piece outfit. What could we really do? Um, so you know, that sort of started out very simply as a punk pop sound. Um, and then over time, we uh, actually went up formally to look for another guitarist and very luckily got Cairo involved. Um, and so Cairo actually penned us and uh, several times, like he wrote letters. Somehow he managed to find my address. I don't know how, like number wow. one stalker. Yeah. 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 True fan, la, true fan. It's snail mail, right? You have to go down to the yeah. post office, you've got to buy a stamp, you know, like so... Um, really true dedication. So I thought, oh, yeah. you know, and we tried out quite a few um, guitarists. None really clicked. Um, Kai just had the right spirit and like, you know, so we gelled really well. Um, so he came on board and then it sort of took our sound a bit more dreamy-like, you know, we got to do a bit more indie sound. After that, just because we had, you know, two guitars instead of just one. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, notice I haven't said anything about my singing because I think it is at best possible. <laughs> it's like, I will consider it. I love writing music. I've always, I'm classically trained as well on the piano. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like, you know, a chance to sort of really express uh, my love for music. Um, the singing, I think you have to be born with it. So not really Christina Aguilera. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just leave it as that. Um <laughs> But I think the whole uh, genesis of Sideshow Judy was really fun. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I was really mentally prepared for the kind of response we got. Um, it, because it started out as a fun thing, right? And right. we didn't know where it would take us. We didn't have expectations. It's just a bunch of kids, you know, who had, a, we had like $6 an hour, go to jamming studios. So we yeah. thought, okay, what the hell, right? Yeah. Um, so we just, a lot of the times went along with the flow. We were very much sort of just in our own unit. Um, we didn't really sort of cross-fertilize or it was really part of the bigger scene or even part of the girl rock, girl band scene. We sort of kept to ourselves mm. and did our own thing. Um, but it was, it was interesting. I mean, it was just highs and lows as well. Um, it was like... We love performing. We were learning a lot about ourselves as musicians and also like, you know, learning about things like stage presence and all that stuff, which at 15, you probably don't, right? And then people kept offering us gigs. Oh, why don't you play at Stu? Why don't you play at Beyond Polytechnic? Why don't you do these World Trade Center gigs? And it just kept coming. So we 
just accepted everything, you know, it's not like you were very picky or choosy, you just thought, okay, this is like good exposure, this is really fun, let's just do it. Um, so we just went along with the flow a lot of the times. Um, I think there came a point in time where maybe a year in, that it felt like there were more and more female-led or female-fronted uh, bands. Um, women in bands. Yeah, women in rock, <laughs> you know, like girl power, G-U-R-R-L, G-R-R-L, like a uh, lot of people have spelling. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and obviously, we got roped into that whole cohort despite being minority female. Wait, it's three boys were, and one girl, right? <laughs> you, were still, you were still in school at this point in time, is it? Or? Well, I was 15, yeah. So, yes. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, so, I was, just, I was still in school. Uh, and, you know, this was the other flip side, right? Because we sort of bubbled along, went along with it. It was all really fun. Um negative press also came along with it like suddenly people just writing into big old saying we hate this band Sideshow Judy we hate the singer like all these things like and it was just like what's going on (laughs) you know (laughs) a couple of kids in the studio we wrote a couple of songs and then there was all this negative press um and not because like we did anything unique or special right we just sort of put ourselves out there uh, and slowly you learn like, okay, it comes with the territory, you know, it is what it is. Um, so you can either choose to just go along, have fun, um, or, you know, just sort of sink and quit. Um, so like 20 years on, you sort of look back, wow, you know, that was like a lot of fun, a lot of learning, met so many great people. Uh, and I wouldn't trade it off like to do anything differently. Um but the, the scene in Singapore in sort of 1995 just was itself, I think, maturing. And then the whole girl label thing maybe didn't help. But uh, I think 20 years on, we still see it, right? Like, <laughs> uh, all these uh, women CEOs must highlight that. Uh, women on boards yeah, yeah. also yeah, must yeah, highlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's almost like affirmative action gone wrong, right? Because, uh, oh, you only get a chance because you are a woman. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not because you're good. Um, so there was a bit of that going on. Uh, but, you know, at some point in time, we just sort of dial it out and say, you know, this is what we are. Uh, we're just going to continue writing a few more songs and then see where this takes us, right? So so that's all. The strategy of bubbling along. <laughs> yeah, do you... So do you... Okay, so this is... Uh, this is where folk can jog memory. Do you remember... What was the first gig? World Trade Center. Oh, wow. Amphitheater. Yeah. Amphitheater. Amphitheater. They just opened up the World Trade Center Amphitheater and then Patrick um, uh, was very resourceful. He managed to get um, a role in doing the lineups hmm. for every week. So he said, yeah. look, you know, uh, your band is new. Maybe you can just start, you know, just this is your first gig. Um, and we were probably three or four months in. I'm, wow. And I won't, I won't say that you, that was our best gig. I think it was one of our worst gigs. <laughs> like we had no idea oh, about no. sound levels, you know, or like playing together as a band, performing. You know, it was just like three people up there, you know, sort of doing some stuff. Um, and that was the first gig. <laughs> But, you know, it's a very nice kind of high 
uh, because you felt like you really achieved something, um, you know, taking it from meeting a few strangers, jamming together, forming a band, forming an identity, then going to stage. It was um, sort of came to that point where I said, actually, this is really fun. We should just keep doing this. I also was wondering, how, how did you guys actually get, get your name ah. uh, sideshow, Judy? <laughs> There have been many philosophical discussions about this. <laughs> and Ari has his own story. I have my own story, but I think my story is the right one. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was a combination of Catherine Wheels, Judy staring at the sun, which I was like totally into okay. at that time. Um, and then the sideshow part came from somebody watching Simpsons <laughs> and, being so. a, and, yeah, and being a huge fan of Sideshow Bob. Yeah. <laughs> so you get one plus one and then there was Sideshow Judy. So I'm pretty sure that is the, the true genesis. <laughs> well, I, read, I read somewhere about something about the breathers or something. So is that yeah, real or I not just, real? I just don't think that's the case. Um, uh. It... That's why I think it, we went back and forth. I know Ari was listening a lot to the breeders and I was just like, no, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I dispute. <laughs> <laughs> When did, uh, so you guys officially formed what, in 93, 94? I think about 94. About yeah, 94? probably okay. 94. And uh, I think one of the first times we actually heard you, I mean, apart from being at the live shows, we, we heard you guys was on that Flush After Use uh, uh, compilation CD in which you guys had two songs. Yeah. If I'm not wrong. Tell her and... Um, we don't talk anymore. I think was yes, that's right. Yeah, how how did that? What year was Flash of Leaves? Uh, I think it's 96, 95, 96. I mean, how did that come about? And and what was it like? You know, recording these tracks and stuff. So one of the interesting things about I think being inside show is that uh, we never felt like we had a lot of fans, but we always had very good feedback from other bands. So over time, I sort of felt like we were a band's band. You know, okay. <laughs> um, maybe that's code for just uh, very esoteric, <laughs> exotic. <laughs> um, we were band's band. So, um, Flash After Use sort of came about because I think Ray from Opposition Party hmm. approached us, and then he was um, working with a record label at that time, uh, hmm. and you know they were thinking about, okay, why don't we do something that showcases Singapore talent? Um, and I think being a band's band, we were obviously identified <laughs> uh, to be on the record. Um, and the producers at, you know, uh, uh, Spring Roll Records, I think, um, they heard our music and they thought, oh, actually, you know, these guys are quite good. Uh, so maybe just put them on the record as well. So that was actually our first chance to really experience, you know, a proper music studio, 24-track recording. Um, mm. 
we squeezed out the two tracks and I think in 24 hours it was overnight like we literally wow. got to experience sleeping on the couch in the studio very nice couch very plush <laughs> where, where, which studio is this do you remember I can't remember it was somewhere in Paya Lebar you know um, Paya Lebar okay. is it Boss Mastering Suite huh? or Boss yeah yeah Boss. actually maybe it's Mastering Suite yeah right. um, so it was very plush environment all that was missing was maybe candy <laughs> I just needed like maybe jars of candy or Oreos, you know. Then, um, but yeah, it was really amazing experience uh, because you know we finally could use all these things like sound effects. We could take out uh, mm. all our guitar effects and you know sort of layer in different sounds. So you know, plan in things like some uh, orchestration and all that, which we could never do before with eight track recording. Yeah, so it was very exciting. Um, so, so like for the songs like Tell Her and, and We Don't Talk, I mean, do, these were old songs, were they, were, had they been kicking around a, a bit before you recorded them or were these like done specially for, for the recording? Um, at that point in time, we definitely had We Don't Talk Anymore. Uh, Tell Her, I think, was actually written quite recently uh, and... And Ari was the one who penned that song. Um, so I think maybe he was like going through girlfriend problems. I'm not sure. But I, I thought, I heard, I heard the melody and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I think this one's really good. Let's work on it. Um, so the recording opportunity came around right at that point in time. So it sort of gelled very nicely. And that's why we decided uh, to, to feature that song. So that one was new, whereas, um, you know, we don't talk anymore was had been hanging around for a while. I remember vaguely that you guys were on Left of the Dark and I checked yes. and I confirmed that yes, they were on Left of the Dark, which is 94. So that's before that. A song called Spaceship Dog. Mm. Yeah, I penned that song, Spaceship Dog. Um, it was maybe a bit influenced by Winnie for Gojo because I was reading that at that point in time. I have no idea why. Um, but it was about a man waiting for his dog. And then it was supposed to fly off to space. The space part was a bit like, you know, imaginary on my part. But yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Jeff, um, Jeff, Bezos, Jeff Bezos and it's not right. Yeah. yeah, except, so, you so know, you... I didn't really, I didn't envision my rocket to be penis shaped though. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, yeah, Left of the Dow was, uh, was something that was really driven by Patrick Chung. Yeah. Um, and I think he's always been very supportive of Sideshow Judy. I, I think he has had a really big hand at identifying some of the bands that have been really um, interesting for Singapore music scene. So we were one of those bands that he always um, tried to support. So Spaceship Dog, uh, I think he decided to do that compilation and then he invited us to record, uh, record 
Um, and Spaceship Belt was already released on our, our demo, uh, obviously in crappy quality. This was a chance to have a redo. Um, so again, you know, sort of in a proper studio environment and um, really managed to improve the overall um, structure of the song. Uh, and, and actually to date, it might be my favorite version. <laughs> it's, it's definitely the better version <laughs> than the original. go along with bubble along with uh Sideshow Judy for um well so probably until sort of actually as a band we ended up being together about seven eight years um and then we had a name change towards the end uh because we felt like we outgrew that Sideshow Judy vibe and then we sort of rebranded to Anne because we decided to become a bit more electronic and we started okay. doing a bit more dancey kind of sound. Um, Ari was also exploring his new drumming style um, and then we got really into you know uh, uh, electronical music, um, uh, sort of circa 2000 uh, around then. So we, we had a branding change <laughs> to, to rename ourselves Ahn but still saying cool. Um, and then, you know, we had uh, a DJ friend of ours, Avery, also helped us out on the decks. So it was, it was quite nice. It was like exploration of new sound. Um, but art didn't really last around that long. And I think, you know, the guys started getting very uh, antsy. Like they wanted to move on with new projects. Uh, Kai, you know, um, left and joined Great Spy Experiment, which became huge. Um, and then Ari was also uh, doing uh, other um, projects. And so it felt like it was time, you know, um, that we just sort of split. So I, I remember that incarnation because uh, I, I think I saw you around that time with Moods. Mm. Yeah, I think we were performing as well. Yes, yes. I remember that gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like 20 years ago, my God. <laughs> I know, time flies, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies and a few kilos heavier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, okay, because Kevin and I are also talking about this. Um, and since you mentioned Catherine Wheel, um, mm. which was also one of the one of the uh, bands that right, Daniel right, right, Sassoon right. had been listening to before <laughs> he started Livonia. Really? Uh, he got into Livonia. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and and we were, we were having this. Uh, did you and Daniel actually get together to form something as well? 
Yes, we did. We had this fun project band called Salad Dressing. It was us, oh, okay. Daniel, and Adrian Ho from uh, Multiple Flower. <laughs> yes, I always say Adrian Ho from Sexy Little Boy. <laughs> But that's not the band name, is it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, these, these. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and yeah. then, and I was about to say when you said. Uh, Daniel was the same Catherine Liu. I was like, I always thought no, Catherine Liu was introduced to me by Adrian Ho because that was Adrian's like all-time favorite band. Um, right. And so I've always associated Catherine Liu with Adrian. I'm not sure, but yes, we came together. We formed this project band, and Ari was also in it. It was really fun. We decided to just all contribute one song, and then we made a demo of it. Um, uh, and I think. It was the most expensive uh, demo cover in <laughs> my in my short eight years of making music in Singapore. Completely, possibly, completely financed by Daniel Sassoon. <laughs> <laughs> so he like spent no expense, you know. <laughs> But I think from his perspective, one might argue the Livonia cover might be the most expensive because it was that shiny silver thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think yeah. like dressing cover for him was just like you know cheap shot. <laughs> <laughs> This is like downgrade. But uh, for in my existence of making a uh, demo covers, I think that was the most expensive one. <laughs> Thank God I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> Okay, so like when when was that? What what year was that? Hmm. Uh, probably ninety seven, ninety six, ninety seven. I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure why we decided to do it. it. Must have been one of those nights where we were hanging outside substation or something. We thought it was a really great idea. Um, and I think it was a chance to do the kind of songs that we couldn't do with our bands. Right, right. So, and that's why I think salad dressing sound was very odd, right? Like it was very sort of American college rock, hmm. um, a bit of like a bit like Weezer sounding like you know, and um, a bit like Dinosaur Junior kind of you know guitar licks because it's all the stuff that I think Daniel wanted to. Try out and then you for me. Junior like, and Daniel Sassoon. Yeah, Daniel Sassoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's another person, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I, I really have great respect for for Daniel's guitar work. I mean, to date, I think you know, like just his melodic structures and his ability to to act it is just like incredible. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, maybe the best way to describe it is is it's actually quite thoughtful. <laughs> um, So it was yeah, and it was really fun. Uh, it was one of those overnight things. Uh, we decided to just go in the studio and do it. Uh, I think we recorded it in TNT Studios. Um, oh, okay. And just sort of got it done and sent Daniel off with, to do the most expensive uh, demo cover. Demo <laughs> cover, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you do uh, any live live gigs? Did you do any live? No, gigs? we never did. It was just oh. purely record only, you okay. know, and uh, sort of get it out there. It would have been interesting to see. I think. <laughs> see I don't know. Show. A lot of personalities known that band. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a stage big enough? <laughs> I I I remember that specifically because there was a big old. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. 
I'm not sure if uh, people even bought the demo, but given that we all don't seem to have a copy of it, I suppose somebody out there has it. That, isn't that always the case, right? It's like everybody else probably has a copy except the, the people who put it out. <laughs> well, That's I still true. have the DATs for our wow, original really? demos. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. You should so, put it out, man. I should, I should. Before all the DAT conversions to mm. use sustainable yeah, albums. Yeah. It's like legacy business. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah. Did you continue your any other musical projects beyond that or? Did you decide, okay, that's um, it? I became a bit more, yeah, I sort of became a bit more lax. Uh, and then just sort of took time out. I started working at that point. So I was just trying to work and survive. Um, I did a couple, I got quite involved in, with the whole new acoustic kind of sound. So I decided, okay, maybe I'll start doing solo songs. Um, so it was sort of like reversion just back to me. So I did a couple of moonlighting uh, gigs where, you know, I just marketed myself under uh, Pop and the Rookie, uh, but it was really just myself. Um, but nothing serious after that. Like, but it was just, I, I actually took the time out to more just enjoy the music and then like, you know, um, try with Great Spa Experiment was going so well. And then, um, you know, Ari at that point was, I think he moved to Australia. So it was, it was actually quite exciting just to like follow on what they were doing rather than, you know, um, focus on my music stuff. So I was just uh, looking at other avenues instead. Well, I mean, what's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, you're looking at other people's uh, musical journeys and stuff apart from your own. Um, because I, I, I do remember that how we actually got um, or reconnected again was because you had been doing this, uh, you had organized a gig, a charity show, actually, um, for for Derek Fitzgerald at that point in time. The year Lehman crushed us all, 2009. Right. <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the height of the great financial crisis. Yeah, yeah. Could you, could you talk a bit about that? Like, did you know the Thunderbirds themselves? Or how did you get involved in... I knew of the Thunderbirds, like who didn't, right? If you're in sort of Singapore mm. music. Um, so I knew of the Thunderbirds. Uh, Dad and mum listened mm. to them. Um, and then it was actually my mum who highlighted Derek's case okay. to me. Um, it was quite in passing. Mm. So it was all nine. I think, you know, I'd never seen the CBD as empty as that because so many people lost their yeah. jobs. Um, so I thought it was quite fitting. Uh, to organize a gig in the CBD <laughs> during the great financial crisis. Um, so mom highlighted Derek's personal situation to me that he had suffered a stroke. Um, Derek at that point has, uh, was actually playing uh, with a band, uh, just like a cover band uh, in uh, yeah, a lounge, yeah. right? Um, and he had been doing think... that for many years. And then when he suffered his fifth stroke, um, that was it, sort of took him out completely. Um, and I thought, okay, you know, uh, we should probably try and do something like this. I've always been a great believer of charity work. And every year I sort of organize 
charity or charitable uh, projects. I'm actually doing one right now, uh, serving hot meals to the needy in Thailand. Um, and so, you know, I, I love doing charity work and I thought this was like a great opportunity for me to put music, which I love, um, and also charity right. uh, together. I think, I think for, for those who, who don't know, um, Derek Fitzgerald was the singer uh, or the lead singer of the 1960s Singapore band called the Thunderbirds. And they, and they were very big in the 60s, uh, you know, like after the quest. You know, it's always like people at the Thunderbirds, the trailers, and they had huge hits, uh, especially this one big song called, uh, oh my goodness, now no, I can't remember. The one with the famous slide guitar um, in, in which uh, he used uh, a comb because they didn't have a proper guitar slide. So they used a comb to make that, that slide sound. So how did, I mean, how was that gig? I mean, like, was, it, was it what you expected? Like what um, happened? So it was, it was held at a black cafe. I, I know the founder, John Chan, uh, who now has moved on to uh, be the face of EduTech mm -hmm. in Singapore. Uh, he, he owns and runs Saturday Kids. So anybody with kids out there who wants to develop the next Elon must send their kids there for coding lessons. Um, so John, John was operating Black Cafe and said, hey, you know, I would really love to do this uh, charity event. And John loves music as well. So he was like, yeah, why don't you just hold it at Black and, you know, we'll do an evening of it. Um, so he provided like the whole ambiance, the venue, and then um, drinks and we just raised funds off the back of that. Uh, people bought tickets and then people gave direct contributions. Uh, so it was a smallish affair, but so maybe a hundred plus people mm. turned up. It was crowded. Um, like people were standing shoulder to shoulder. Not kosher yeah. if COVID <laughs> does. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. back then, definitely quite... Yeah, so it was a good turnout. Um, and, and it was fun. We had a couple of people do, uh, you know, sets. Um, and then um, all the funds and the proceeds went to direct. Was this, was this, that was the first time you did something like this? I mean, did you do any more after that? No, I invested most of my time to sort of just write music and musical pieces, some of which like, you know, I gave to like advertising people to use as background music and all that. So I was just sort of tinkering more um, using my computer and, starting to, you know, uh, uh, make electronic music that way, but not many live shows. I did a couple of shows at just myself um, at, uh, uh, at the Durian. Official name, oh, the Esplanade. Give us by the bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did a couple of uh, gigs there myself, um, you know, with uh, my pianos and also keyboards. Um, but that was it, like pretty, pretty low. When, when was that the Spinning gigs? Uh, two thousand, maybe two thousand three, oh. thereabouts. Quite early yeah, on yeah, yeah. About two thousand three, two thousand four. Quite late. Uh, I mean, as in, Esplanade had already been open for I don't know four, four five years, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. 
Hmm. Okay. Okay. I mean, like, so, so in terms of like, what do you, what are you doing these days? I mean, apart from <laughs> hiding out and <laughs> running hey, away. Some people call it active retirement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. See, I, that's why I need people like you to give me more synonyms for <laughs> running away. <laughs> uh, it's called taking stock. Um, I've been, I've been actually really busy uh, launching a new business. Um, and then doing charity organization work, uh, which has been great uh, because, you know, there was, I think, a lost decade somewhere in there where all I did was work and make money for other people. So now it's just nice to be able to chillax and do the projects that I have high conviction in. Um, and, you know, so I, I think it's great. Uh, it's, a, it's a full reset. Um, so the, and I don't think, you know, if COVID didn't happen, I don't think we would have taken this shot at, you know, doing this because your opportunity cost is zero. Right. At this at point, this yes. Point. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could stay in a crappy job and live in a crappy apartment and, you know, get half salary or whatever um, and work twice as hard or go to a place where um, it doesn't cost as much and, live a 100% life. So, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how the strategy pans out. Um, yeah, and then launching a new business is quite involving. On your own terms, on your own terms, yeah. oh, that's right. Fair to see. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Wow, there's uh, some drilling going on really? now. This is not drill oh. music, by the way. It's actual <laughs> okay. drilling. I thought this was a new musical director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I mean... I think it's quite exciting. I don't know, music nowadays is, is so polarizing. I feel like a lot of it is, is just very non-singable, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Melody basically has taken a, a backseat, I would say that way. Melody is not as important yeah. as it was uh, 20 years ago. Or even five years ago. Or even five years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know whether, I don't know whether this is a feedback that you guys have seen now that you're doing the Lion City podcast. Um, do a lot of people from our generations so of actively go back in there and like, yeah, let's you know mentor the next generation of musicians, and we have so much to share. <laughs> I still feel like people just want to leave it behind. I don't know. I mean, definitely there are people who are you know. You mentioned Ray as is he's he's I mean he's an educator now he he teaches music as well, and he's quite keen on on sharing yes. these, like local stories local songs with his uh, students you know mm. so that you know the people like that and I'm just assuming anybody who's in the who's in the mentorship program organized by the Durian <laughs> would be yeah oh I mean and you see like, I did that for I did that for a while yeah. no longer. And then some people mm, like Daniel, Daniel as Daniel, so Dino uh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. as Daniel. So I think we all we all uh, sort of looking for ways to, to give back. Um, and I I remember uh, so I think it must have been two zero zero four. Patrick approached me and he said, "Look, I'm really keen on you know sort of giving back to Singapore." Um, in a charitable way. So we started Music for Good. Yes, I don't yes, know yes. If you guys, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so Music for Good, we got that funded up um, and it was it was great uh, because, you know, uh, Patrick had this grand idea of taking music to help youth at risk um, and using like music to sort of channel their uh, energies. Uh, and they got to do a lot of things with that, you know, um, either, I think they, they had really sort of two main tracks of, um, of the programs. One was really music for sort of uh, sickness alleviation. Like there were some kids who, you know, um, were maybe ill or needed music as therapy. So it was just as simple as, you know, getting a trained guitarist or a trained uh, music teacher to sit with them for an hour and, you know, uh, have them uh, get a chance to like play with the instrument. Then they did drum classes as well, you know, and then I think the others programs they did were around, you know, so working with youth at risk in, you know, either juvie or um, some of the youth centers, like after school right. programs. Yeah, so it was really a great endeavor. Um, and I think out of that, you know, actually that program grew quite big. We had so many volunteers and so many teachers and we were actually quite well-funded as well. We even had an office. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, an office in Little India. Oh, okay. Was it... Did, did, weren't there releases under Music for Good? Yeah, that's why I also... Oh, maybe... Yeah, maybe... Maybe Patrick did something. I can't quite recall. Um, my job was the money person. I had to get money. <laughs> <laughs> Salesman job. Yes. <laughs> Which is important for music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Though. It is, yeah, it is. Can, yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, when you, you sort of look back at the Singapore music scene in the 90s, it felt like at times there were, and maybe this was also a bit the media, right? They always sort of pitted like, oh, the hardcore people against the indie shoegazer people. and But I think in reality, it really wasn't like that. No. Right? No. You know? No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, I think people got along much more than what the media was making it out to be. And um, and like they were creating some kind of comp- competitive, uh, like, you know, inside riot a bit, I think. <laughs> 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 Which made it quite hard for the bands because then, you know, uh, the people who attended the gig started making it about themselves rather than right. the artists on stage. So it was definitely growing pains um, with the scene. Mm. I don't know if the scene now is more like growing pains or people just doing their own thing. I think now like you can just release music, you know, by yourself yeah. on Spotify, and yeah. it's, which might be better because then you're not branded Singapore yeah. rock. You know, yeah, you're just yeah. good music. I think I think in the nineties, <laughs> uh, my sense was that genres was not really a big deal. Last fifteen years in Singapore scene. Uh, Genre is yeah, yeah, it seems like that, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because <laughs> I've been to, yeah. you know, done some of these babies auditions, then, you know, big come big discussion about genre. You know, it's like, oh, this band is good, but they're not the right genre. And I'm like, why are we having this kind of discussion? <laughs> if they're good, they're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, but maybe this comes back to sometimes I, you know, really um maybe on hindsight, I sort of think like this is a reflection of being Singaporean and being Singapore. Um, the fact that we have so many genres is because you have an open economy, right? People can listen to all kinds of sounds readily available. 
Um, but then that conflicts with the need to have a country yes. identity. Somehow, oh. you know, you know. So somehow right. people feel beholden to the idea that we should have a unique yes. sound. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily true, because I think people think back there, you know, uh, and they try to relate to. Oh, there's a Seattle sound. There is a um, college rock sound. There's a shoegazer sound. There's a Britpop sound. Um, oh, yeah. And they try to associate it, and all these sounds came from a certain geographical area. So you try right, to apply right. the same logic to Singapore, right? But what results is that then people start questioning themselves like, oh, this genre good, this genre not good. Um, yeah. And then there's, you know, sort of a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, my sound is better than yours or, you know, <laughs> the fans start going like, that sound is more correct than the other sound. And it's just a giant mess. But I think we are where we are because Singapore is so small. And you would think that because of that, you should only have one sound. But yep, the yep, opposite yep. is true. We have yep, all yeah. sounds, yeah. right? Because we're so open. We get it all influenced from everywhere. Yeah, um, that's true. So, it's, so I think that's why, you know, at the end of the day, we just got to move on and say, okay, you know, I really like what you're doing. Um, and if it's a good song, yeah. it's a good song. If it doesn't catch, it doesn't catch, right? Yeah. It's actually funny, like, because when you talk about, you mentioned Seattle sound and all that kind of stuff. It's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, right? not, I don't think. I mean, Mercy B is actually a limiting... It's very limiting, yeah. yeah it's a limiting it. thing. I mean, nobody called Beatles Mercy B. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For everybody. Why would they, right? What would they call it? It's very limiting. Well, it's like, huh, Beatles. Beatles are Beatles. That's it. That's the only thing you want to say. They call them Mercy B. It's like... Yeah. But I'm going to I'm gonna put you on the spot, Pauline. Uh, and uh, was there... I mean, uh, what was the big... Uh, what was the biggest lesson that you through these years you know maybe from the from the being in music and doing music and stuff like that is there is there a thing that you um, that you actually uh, there's so many life skills <laughs> uh, <laughs> number one is being thick skin like really thick skin okay. yeah I have, <laughs> how, how because, do you mean well you know because when you are in public domain right after you think like okay having a bag is quite fun then you publish music then you play gigs um, invariably people are going to listen to those things or watch you play they will form opinions about you they will think they know you you know so all these things um, and along with that comes a, you know a set of like uh, detractors or people who like just don't like you because you're you um, so I think from there you have to learn to be a bit thick skin and just like move on um, and you know sort of shrug it off uh, and then I think also what we didn't do enough and we probably should have done uh, was uh, sell ourselves a bit more. We really weren't, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, we didn't talk about sexual duty enough. We didn't like, you know, uh, make enough recordings. We should have recorded much more and sort of say, look, we should do this more seriously, you know, publish more music. Um, play more gigs, look overseas, you know, look at online mediums uh, to get the music out there. It's, I think music and media is quite closely tied. You can't just sort of create music in a vacuum and like, yeah, you know, only the most intrepid person is going to find us out and, you know, listen to our songs and yeah, you have like one fan. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, the whole salesmanship is actually quite important. Mm. 
But to be fair, you were in your teens, right? Yeah, did you say that you <laughs> yeah, were still yeah, in yeah, school yeah. at the time? Well, I was 15, but at the end of it, I was sort of 23. Okay, okay. So, you know, a young person. All right, okay, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? And, and I think you grow up quite quickly, yeah. right? I think yeah. you grow up quite quickly um, yes. once you start doing these things. And yep. uh, because you start planning your own date schedule yeah. and... You know, you, there's logistics involved, right? Like getting to the studio and stuff like that. So budgets, you know, yep, thinking yep, about your next yep. demo. So I think you grow up quite quickly. Um, yes. So I think in terms of life skills, I would say uh, being thick-skinned was number one. Number two was probably um, salesmanship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like learning to, you know, sort of present... Um, it's almost like sometimes, you know, when you tell people, oh, I, I play in a band, you know, uh, I do music. It's almost like you have to also have a bit of a story. And those skills are very similar to uh, any kind of product pitch. Yeah, no? yeah that's yeah. true. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean it's, the kind, it's the kind of skills that we always say now because I teach, right? That yeah. all, all the kids need now. Yeah. I think even more so than yeah. before. Right, it's like an essential now, right? But back then, it's like this is like the learning cycle. I think back back then, I always felt slightly embarrassed, you know, really? to tell people, "Oh, I play in a band." Yeah, they they'll think like, "What's wrong with you? Why are you not in AV club or book club?" <laughs> club. You know, okay, true, like, yeah, true. yeah. Back hey, then, lots of people were striving then. to be in the AV club. Oh, right. school, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Not in my yes. school. Because you... <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's sort of, um, or why aren't you in sports? Like, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's stuff that mattered, right? Mm, yeah, um, yeah. Whereas nowadays, it's like, oh, having an Instagram profile and being an mm. influencer seems to be very <laughs> important. So, oh, yeah, yeah. it's sort of top of mind for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting like, how things have some things have not changed, but some things have very changed a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering whether, you know, if back in the 90s, we had been given the self-confidence we have today uh, around self-promotion uh, and, you know, putting yourself out there is a good thing, lean in on it versus you play the band. Right, yeah. What about studying? Yeah. What about AV club? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, uh, I'm wondering whether the scene would have been even twice as big and um, more people playing more music and, you know, because it's also like the more bands you have, the chances of having the next, uh, the next, uh, I'm thinking Britney Spears, but she still has been. <laughs> yeah, come on, keep up with the, the time. The next Taylor Swift yeah. <laughs> is also higher, right? Yeah, yeah. Even even uh, even Taylor Swift now is passing. I gotta say, you gotta say Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> yes, that's true because Taylor Swift just hit thirty or something, right? Like yeah. she's in her thirties yeah, now. Yeah. Thirty, oh man, thirty. Oh, yeah. That's the beginning of the end. The beginning of middle age madness. Yeah, yeah thirty. <laughs> thirty is literally half my age now. <laughs> wow. Only half. Only half. <laughs> Only half. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, I mean, we don't want to take up too much of your time, uh, Pauline. But thanks oh, no, very much. Such a for, for enjoyable experience. 
Yeah, so cool. So cool to catch up. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks very yeah. much for taking time out to, to come and do this. Thanks, thanks, Pony. Yeah, wonderful. All right, guys, I'm going to leave yep. you now. Okay. So have a great weekend. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for this. Yep, and that's it. Another exciting episode of Lime City Rock. Uh, and uh, we hope that you have enjoyed yourself. Learned a lot of things and uh, you know, kind of more stuff to find out about uh, in the Singapore music scene. Mm. I mean, there's still lots to go, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we we, we, we we enjoy ourselves and I hope you enjoy yourself as well. So until the next time, you know, you need, just need to do the usual thing uh, you know, share, mm. subscribe, comment, give us feedback. We always appreciate yeah. feedback. Let us know how we're doing or let us know if, if there's any particular uh, topic about. In the Singapore local scene, uh, the music scene that you want, want us to cover. And talk That's about. true. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So in the meantime, as usual, take care, stay safe, and be good. Goodbye, everybody. Yep. Goodbye. Ciao.